0: Hello, I'm Ian Madison, a fellow in the International Development Department and the producer of the Refugee Realities podcast series. In this series, students from the course on Refugees and Forced Migration here at the LSE bring us interviews with a range of people on the topic, covering the policies and politics that shape asylum to the lived experiences of refugees themselves. In this episode, Valentina and Henry dig into a recent and controversial refugee policy here in the UK. In March 2021, Priti Patel made headlines with the announcement of the government's new plan for immigration, which is set to overhaul the UK's refugee and asylum policy. However, critics have since labeled the government's plans as impractical, lacking compassion and breaching the UK's commitment to the 1951 Refugee Convention. With the help of two guests, Zoe Gardner, a Policy Advisor for the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, and Dr. Mathilde Rossina, an LSE Fellow in International Migration at the European Institute here at LSE. This podcast assesses what the proposed changes actually are, and the impact they will have on those trying to seek asylum within the UK. Valentina and Henry are both Master's students at the LSE, studying International Development and Humanitarian Emergencies. Valentina is particularly interested in the intersection of gender, migration and health. She completed her undergraduate degree at University College London, writing her dissertation on the humanitarian crisis in Venezuela. Henry completed his undergraduate at the University of Birmingham, writing his dissertation on the impact of neoliberalism on the UK's aid and development policies. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, my name is Valentina.
0: And my name is
2: Henry.
1: And welcome to our podcast brought to you by the LSE's International Development Department. Today we will be discussing the new proposed reforms to the UK's immigration and asylum policy outlined by Priti Patel earlier this year.
2: In the podcast we will have with us two guests and we will talk about what these new reforms are and the impact they will have on those trying to claim asylum within the UK. Our first guest is Zoe Gardner. There is a researcher and grassroots campaigner on migrant rights who currently works on the policy team for the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, a UK-based charity whose work includes providing legal assistance and support for refugees and asylum seekers.
1: Our second guest is Dr. Mathilde Rosina, an LSE Fellow in International Migration at the European Institute, who recently received her PhD in International Political Economy from King's College London. Her work as we will see later on, examine the criminalization of irregular migration in Europe, investigating its functioning, effectiveness and consequences.
2: But first, here's Zoe to talk about the new bill.
3: Hello and thank you for being here with us today. Um, Can you start with telling us a little bit about yourself and your work?
4: Hi, um, it's great to be here. My name is Zoe Gardner and I'm a policy advisor at the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, uh, JCWI, which is I think one of the oldest um, migrants rights charities in the UK. We've been operating for over 50 years. um, And what we do is we provide legal advice and representation to migrants at all different stages of the immigration system in the UK. Um, including uh, refugees who are seeking um, protection here in this country. And I obviously, from my title, I work on policy. So we research how the policies of the government impact migrants and refugees in this country and um, what would be alternatives and better ways of treating people. And then we campaign on those issues as
2: well. Perfect, thanks very much. So also you talked about your work uh, in reference to working with refugees in the UK. Um, and this podcast is about the new asylum bill. It is going to impact these refugees. It was proposed earlier this year by Priti Patel. Um, Just asking, wondering from your point of view, what does this new bill actually propose?
4: So what this bill does is it absolutely decimates um, the very principle of refugee protection in the UK. It's an attack on the fundamental principles of protecting people from persecution if they enter our territory and seek asylum. Um, The ways in which it seeks to achieve that is it tries to delegitimize people based on how they've fled and how they've traveled to reach us in order to claim protection. Um, And it's co-opting the language that um, advocates such as myself have been using for a long time, calling for safe routes to asylum, for people to come here without having to rely on smugglers and without having to take dangerous journeys to come here and and seek asylum. And it takes that language and applies it just to a tiny um, group of hand-picked refugees that Priti Patel um, will bring directly to the UK. And then it seeks to delegitimize the asylum claim of anybody else who flees persecution and then tries to enter the UK and seek asylum.
2: And so how does this uh, represent a change from the existing law?
4: So the changes are that um, when, if a person can be shown to have come via another country um, when fleeing persecution and to have passed through another country before entering the UK, or if they can be shown to have, um, in very broad terms, a connection, whatever that means, to another country, then um, instead of examining their claim when they submit their claim for asylum in the UK, as would normally happen, um, the uh, Home Secretary will declare their claim inadmissible and then will go away while they are held in a sort of limbo situation and try to cut a deal with some other country, whether one they've passed through or one they've never been to, but the Home Office decides um, they can cut a deal with, um, and st- in order to send them away and make them no longer be our responsibility um, and, and just uh, get rid of them and, and, and attempt to make them disappear. Um, that's, that's the basis of um, the bill, but then um, obviously the likelihood is, I mean, we don't have any of those deals in place currently, right? Um, we, when we were part of the EU, we had the Dublin regulation, which um, assigned responsibility to one or another European country for dealing with the claims of asylum seekers, that did allow us in some cases to send people who had transited France, for example, back to France to have their asylum claim heard there. But we don't have those deals anymore because we Brexited. Um, And European states have made it pretty clear that they're not interested in um, taking on our asylum responsibilities now in some sort of bilateral deal. So um, it's unlikely that the Home Secretary is gonna get very far with making that kind of deal. She may have more success cutting a deal with countries that have less relative power to the UK and she may be able to um, palm off our asylum responsibilities to other countries around the world, but it's not clear. Um, and in the meantime, the people who are waiting um, in the system uh, will experience vast delays. There will be a, a greater buildup and backlog of people waiting in the system. And eventually if she can't, find somebody to send these people away to and she accepts that she has to eventually take responsibility and hear their claim. Um, if those people are then recognised as refugees recognised as people who have fled persecution are, and are entitled to our protection, um, she proposes to give them a temporary status um, with the threat of deportation continuously hanging over them for another 10 years before they can finally settle down in this country. So it's vastly increasing the backlog of people being held in limbo, potentially sending people away to God knows which country um, uh, and and, and sort of denying our responsibility to offer them protection. And then also um, keeping the people who do eventually get their way through that system in an ongoing temporary precarious status for another decade is giving the Home Office, which is currently not handling its brief, um at all adequately an infinite amount more work to do Um, and uh, you know inflicting enormous amounts more suffering and inefficiency into the asylum system it's complete disaster
2: perfect so i mean you have touched on kind of what i'm going to ask you next a little bit now in terms of talking about what's going to happen to these refugees or the impact on them in terms of being sent away or having to wait for longer or having that kind of um hanging over their head this idea of only temporary protection but in reality so without sorry about without trying to repeat um making you repeat yourself too much so what does that actually mean these changes in practice for those trying to seek asylum and maybe for those trying to reach the UK
4: um what it means in practical terms is I think what we've seen over the the last year for example with the pandemic um and how asylum seekers have been treated in the in in the UK system during that time is a really worrying indication of what it means for people and for the future we saw how um people have been housed in disused army barracks um, which have been declared in inappropriate Um, for human habitation by numerous independent inspections. People have been held um, in overcrowded facilities, shared dormitories, and then that resulted in an outbreak of COVID um, in those facilities with over hundred people impacted. Um, And and so that's the same home secretary who was happy to leave people in those conditions, who is now introducing a system where, as I say, people are likely to be held in limbo for much longer periods um, and more people building up and building up in the system because of these changes. So we're, we're looking at a really worrying situation for people's rights, people being traumatized by detention-like conditions, inadequate conditions, um, people being penned up um, in remote areas, um, you know, and, and, and just sort of left to rot for long periods, which obviously is a violation of their rights, but also is a system that, you know, it's, it's an indication of a system that is falling apart, that isn't functioning adequately. Um, so that's what's likely to happen to the people who, who make it here. In terms of the people trying to make the journeys here, I think what this bill completely fails to do is address in any kind of realistic way their experiences, because this bill doesn't make any proposal to offer real safe routes. Um, for people to make make the journeys um, and, and avoid this situation of limbo that we're talking about. It doesn't provide any real alternatives. The, it, it talks in vague terms about resettlement, but as I say, that's about handpicking a few people. There's no commitment on numbers. There's no real solution for the, for the people who are displaced around the world, who may have a connection to the UK and have a legitimate reason for coming To seek asylum here that there's no answer for them and so of course the situation of people making dangerous and chaotic journeys and relying on smugglers is going to continue.
3: Thank you very much that is very um, insightful. Um, Something we also wanted to to ask you is about poor factors uh, because Home Secretary Priti Patel said quote unquote we must act to reduce the poor factors of our system and disincentivize illegal entry so what are there really poor factors? If so, what are they?
4: Well, I think it's time that the UK stops seeing itself as some kind of passive recipient of migration and um, recognize that actually the people who make their way to this country are, in the vast majority of cases, people with genuine and legitimate ties to the country, be that because um, the UK colonized half of the world and therefore much of the world has um, historic ties to this country has English as one of its official languages. Um, has We have large and established diaspora communities from the places where people may be fleeing. And so people feel completely rightly in many cases that this is actually the country um, where they'll be able to set themselves up, where they'll have a community to support them, where they'll already speak the language and be able um, to integrate. Um, and people in those circumstances have, as I say, completely legitimate reasons to um, choose the UK as a country of asylum. The UK is also one of the richest um, and most stable countries in the world. Now, if we want to get rid of those so-called pull factors, we're going to have to change the country really quite significantly. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the um, actual sort of details of the policies and the minutiae of the treatment of asylum seekers in the UK constitutes any kind of a pull factor um, actually our asylum system is similar um, and certainly not more generous than that in other European countries. And most refugees obviously stop in neighboring countries to their own. And then most of the refugees who come to Europe stop in European countries before coming to the UK. The people who try to come to the UK are people with real legitimate ties to the UK, real good reasons for wanting to come here. And so what we need to do is facilitate pathways for them to do that safely.
2: Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so, I mean, we've kind of established that this new bill can potentially be quite damaging um, to those trying to seek refuge in the UK, but that's kind of more the practical side. On the legal side, like, are these reforms actually legal? So obviously the Refugee Convention is a basis of international kind of law for guiding practices for refugees. So do you mind just explaining a little bit about what the 1951 convention says uh, and how this new bill, well, would this new bill fit into that?
4: I think there are serious questions about whether this new bill um, will be lawful in terms of our commitments under the Refugee Convention and its protocols. So the Refugee Convention affirms the absolute right of anybody to seek asylum from persecution. Um, It was introduced following... Um, the horrors of the Second World War. Um, uh, It was actually, the UK was one of the leading countries that um, initiated the process to ensure that people would always have access to ask for help and ask for protection in another country if their country was abusing them. Um, The Refugee Convention has a clause that specifically deals with the fact that refugees must not be penalized. For having to make um, undocumented journeys, irregular journeys. Um, and the reason for that is again because we don't have any legal safe routes for people to come and access asylum. And even if we did, frankly, the, the dangerous situations that some refugees are in means that they simply have to flee at a moment's notice, and it's not realistic to expect them to obtain the visa. Um, so the, the Refugee Convention specifically states that people should not be penalized um, based on their method of entry. Um, So it does seem that this bill would fly directly in the face of at least the spirit of um, that clause. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I am very confident that one of the other impacts of this bill will be to find um, the government being dragged through the courts, individual refugees having to go through the courts. many times challenging many aspects of this bill. There's obviously ways in which it's going to violate people's rights. Um, and, and I think that that's sort of something that the, the government is taking as a sort of sunk cost. It, it, the, this government has positioned itself in opposition to lawyers, um, has, has a rhetoric of saying oh, lawyers are, uh, you know, activist lawyers are trying to frustrate um, the will of the government. And, and so I think it's a deliberate um, acceptance of the government will fight the, this, um, potentially illegal impacts of this bill in the courts and then use that to contribute to the narrative that, again, activist lawyers are, you know, trying to frustrate this process, but actually they're deliberately creating the circumstance where, um, there's a need to rely on the courts and on our international legal obligations in order to protect people's fundamental rights.
3: Well, um, Thank you again. And I guess as a final question, we were wondering uh, how would the, the bill impact the work of NGOs and other organizations such as the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants?
4: Um, yeah, the demand for uh, high quality and uh, free legal representation for refugees and for migrants of all kinds far far outstrips the supply in this country Um, it's you know jcwi's legal team is always operating above capacity um and our legal team go above and beyond but we're always having to turn away people for not being able you know to give the the time to their cases and all this bill is going to do is exacerbate those issues massively one of the key things that we found in our research recently is that far from you know the issue of Um, undocumented migration being an issue of people arriving in small boats. It's absolutely not where the problem comes from. We have a large undocumented population in in this country, but the vast majority of those people actually came here through legal pathways, came here on visas to work, to study. um, And then because of this long 10 year route to settlement that we actually impose on all migrants, those people are unable to renew their visa and drop out of the system and then they become undocumented. And we often find ourselves representing people who had a mental health breakdown at the time when they needed to renew their visa and therefore didn't get their visa renewed. And because they are on this long 10 year route to settlement, that means that of any time over a decade, if they encounter some kind of crisis of this kind or just make a mistake on a form or anything of that kind, then you know they drop out of the system, and become undocumented. And so putting recognized refugees onto a 10 year route to a permanent status. It's just gonna increase the number of people who end up falling out of the system. So this is actually a recipe for increasing the undocumented migrant population in the UK, um, which I don't think is the Home Secretary's stated um, aim of the bill.
1: Having spoken to Zoe about what the new bill is and what changes it represents, we then went on to speak with Mathilde about her work, which, as we already said, looked at the criminalization of irregular immigration in Italy and France. Based on her work, we then asked what the expected impacts of the UK's new bill would be, as well as discussing the bill's role in the securitization of the refugee regime.
3: Hello, Um, thank you for being uh, here today with us. Um, Can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your work?
5: Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I am a fellow in uh, the European Institute in International Migration, and um, the research I'm doing focuses on irregular migration, specifically to Europe. So I mainly focus on policies that are based on the idea of deterrence and criminalization of irregular migration. So basically by deterrence, I mean those policies that try to discourage further irregular migration by using a number of threats of negative consequences. So leveraging um, potential migrants' fears, let's say for example, of detention or returns. Yeah,
3: so as we said, um, Home Secretary Priti Patel said, quote unquote, uh, we must act to reduce the pull factors of our system and disincentivize illegal entry. So, can you tell us about what are the pull factors? How would this disincentivize illegal entry?
5: Thank you. I think that's a great question, and there has been a lot of emphasis on, for example, um, uh, welfare provisions or access to work provisions being pull factors for potential migrants in attracting them to a certain country. And I guess the um, opposite of that is what uh, you quoted as well is the deterrence aspect, right? So trying to discourage uh, migrants from coming irregularly uh, to to a country, and the, the UK in this case. Now, I think that if we think about these specific reforms, Um, I think deterrence is clearly a main goal of the reforms. It's actually stated in the new plan itself. It's one of the three main goals, but at the same time, I think we need to, I think we can question the extent to which this is likely to be effective. And this is for a number of reasons. The first one and most fundamental is really that I don't think any of these measures actually address the drivers of migration itself. So situations of Um, economic um, concerns, but also conflict very often. So these situations wouldn't be addressed by any of the deterrence measures mentioned in in the new plan. But instead, very often what also different studies have argued is that deterrence could lead to substitution effects. So in a way, increase irregularity in the flows, right? By making migrants rely more on smugglers, for example, or simply shift the entries to another entry point, but rather than really stopping them. I think that a further problem with this is also that very often information, the degree of information held by potential migrants is overestimated by governments. So, in the new plan, we don't really see or at least I couldn't find any reference to potential information campaigns. And uh, there have been several studies finding that, um, you know, information is not as widespread as we might think. Uh, but even if there were disinformation campaigns and information was higher, I think going back to the first point that I was making, I think that, you know, the reasons for migrating are still much deeper than uh, these deterrence measures would have us think in a way. Now linking back to
3: your work, uh, so you wrote your PhD thesis on the criminalization of uh, migration in Italy and France. And you found that these policies as an example of deterrence have not been effective in those two countries. Um, can you briefly explain what the policies entailed in those cases and why they failed and like if you can find any similarities with
5: this new proposed bill by Priti Patel? So um, just to briefly outline, basically what I looked at was the criminalization, as you said, and basically by criminalization referred to the use of criminal sanctions uh, to address irregular entry or irregular stay. So basically at the moment in Italy and in France, just like in the majority of the other EU member states and in the UK, you can go uh, through a criminal trial for the reason of being a migrant without the proper documentations, uh, staying in the country or having entered in the country. So, in France, this, uh, the sanctions involved a roughly 3,000 euro fine and a one year imprisonment. Whereas in Italy, uh, we don't have uh, imprisonment for irregular migration, but the fine can go up to 10,000 euros, so quite um, high. Now, um, what I looked at was the consequences of criminalizing migration, and as you said, what I found was that actually it did not lead to a reduced number of irregular migrants trying to enter or stay in the in the two countries. And actually, we see that um, in Italy, criminalization, uh, following criminalization, actually arrivals peaked, for example, at 160,000 in 2016. Right. But also France was still in the top five countries by uh, the number of irregular stays in the in, in Europe over the last years, despite criminalization. And at the same time, criminalization didn't facilitate the return of migrants who uh, were not uh, given refugee status. So it didn't make it easier to, to return them. Now, on the other hand, I think that criminalization actually led to negative consequences in a way. And these take uh, two dimensions, because on one hand we can see, I think criminalization together with other deterrence measures can lead to more irregularity. And this is not only to enter a country, but also to stay there. For example, uh, needing to rely more on uh, underground networks in order to, Support uh, oneself once in Italy or in France, right? In the lack of altern- of alternatives, and of course, this does not only lead to more irregularity, but it also increases the profits of underground networks and organizations, and the vulnerability of the migrants, uh, both through the journey and in Europe. But I think also adding to this, we then we see other negative consequences in the form of, in a way, more insecurity. So this relates to an inability to decriminalize following criminalization. So while it is quite easy politically to criminalize, as the two countries have shown, it is increasingly hard to then decriminalize, so repeal these crimes, even when they are not effective or they can lead to negative consequences. So in this context, I think that the UK proposals, the British proposals actually might have the potential to replicate some of these to, to replicate some of the uh, of what I was saying for the case of Italy and France. And for instance, you know, as we were saying earlier, because people who enter irregularly won't have uh, access to refugee status, according to the plan, uh, this may lead to more uncertainty for them and potentially to a state of limbo in a way if they still cannot be returned, but are um, in the country without being able to access the full refugee status. And actually, there are studies that show that, you know, even when people are not granted refugee status, so they're expected to leave, but really they don't very often at the same time i think that what i was mentioning in terms of growing insecurity that might also take place in the sense that it seems to the new plan seems to strengthen this division to emphasize a division between worthy refugees and people who are not worthy of protection and of migrating so in a way it might reinforce the stigma for against um, irregular migration and therefore the marginalisation of the of the people. All right,
3: uh, that's intense. Uh, thank you very much. And I guess uh, you have already mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, so would you, do you think that the um, the proposed bill would have any effect on uh, uh, smuggling and hu- human trafficking as it is intended?
5: Yeah. As I said earlier, I'm not sure deterrence the suspension of migration or really stop migration, but very often what we see is that it takes different routes, migration takes different routes, or there is there are entries through other categories. So for example, if labor migration uh, channels, close, perhaps there may be more migration um, for family reunification purposes or through the asylum uh, category or other. Um, but, uh, if there is more reliance on irregular or smuggling networks, let's say, uh, there may be also more vulnerability by the migrants to them, which is something that I need we need to take into account.
2: Linking, linking back to that is this idea of kind of proposals more generally, is that they represent uh, an increase in the securitization of the refugee regime and the securitization of asylum within UK policy. So would you mind just giving a quick introduction for those that aren't aren't aware, what, what we actually mean when we're talking about securitization specifically the securitization of the refugee regime?
5: So, By securitization, we refer to the idea of framing migration as a security threat that needs a security response, basically. So um, we can have securitization, for example, through through discourse, through rhetoric, by linking uh, migration to issues of crime, of security, of terrorism, Right. And in this sense, um, exactly by linking terrorism and um, irregular migration, for example, there could be a strengthening of this uh, securitization. But also securitization may take place in practice really by for example, uh, well sanctioning irregular migrants with imprisonment, or by using uh, the military to secure borders. So um, I think these are some examples of securitization uh, concerning migration and refugee
2: uh, issues. Perfect, thank you. So um, building on that, to what extent does this new bill kind of represent that securitization, represent the next step of the securitization um, within the UK?
5: I think that's an excellent question. And I think it does, it could, uh, um, depending on how it falls, uh, represent a significant step in towards the greater securitization of of migration in the UK. And again, I think this is both through a number of proposals, such as, for example, it proposes to um, give the, the power to border patrols to, you know, push back migrants who are coming irregularly to the UK. But also the increased criminalization is a further example of this securitization, right, and strengthening the link between migration and and security. I think possibly by emphasizing the irregularity of entry, um, even for people who um, may have a right to uh, get asylum, Actually, I think this might uh, lead to more securitization as well, especially since according to the international law, it, refugees should not be sanctioned for having entered a country irregularly. I think there are also a number of points in the new plan in which we see this securitization a little bit in the, um, in the kind of words that are used as well. So, for example, you see very often the word illegal coming up and there are very often associations between irregular migrants and, for example, um, well, as they say, child rapists and, you know, other uh, kind of crimes. So I think all these practices and use of language in a way uh, together can further securitize migration.
2: And just to emphasize, is that kind of a trend? Obviously, we're talking about the UK t- today, but this is a trend we're seeing globally with the refugee regime. Um, it's this kind of language that a lot of countries are corrupting at the moment. I
5: think we do see prim- uh, securitization sorry, in several instances. And to go back to what I was saying earlier, I think the, the risk with this is that it is politically easy again to securitize uh, in the sense of the public opinion right and the expectations that they might have in terms of control but I think it is increasingly hard to then de-securitize migration Uh, for example just to give an example about Italy um, decriminalization was not really pursued by the government even though there were a lot of public figures who said that you know it was not effective, it was counterproductive, because they thought that the public would not understand. So I think that that is the risk that is implicit in securitization and criminalization.
2: So what are the negative impacts of uh, securitizing the refugee regime, um, kind of in terms of the refugees that come over, are they then perceived more negatively? Do the, is it hard for them to assimilate into the country?
5: Right, um, so I think it can have consequences in terms of, it, it could increase the stigma associated to refugees and migrants perhaps a bit more broadly too, uh, by associating them to, to a threat, potentially criminals, right, potentially terrorists. and. I think that this could have implications also for the marginalization actually of the refugees or migrants more broadly too, in terms th- there is already higher unemployment. There are already higher unemployment levels for foreigners than for natives, for example, both in Italy and in France. And with more securitization, I think there is the real risk of this greater stigma and marginalization of refugee communities.
2: After hearing this, we went back and asked her what people can do to get involved and to help. This is what she told us.
4: Um, the first and most important thing is to make your voice heard to your MP. So we have a campaign at the moment specifically dealing with um, the issue that I've just spoken about, about people on this long route settlement losing their status, and then we don't really have. Good ways for people who've become undocumented to get back on track and get back into the normal system. Um, And the campaign is called We Are Here, um, because I I think these these people's voices have been completely ignored for far too long. And we have um, a campaign tool to enable you to write to your MP and raise these issues and ask them to sign on um, to our campaign and to support the rights of all migrants to get a permanent and secure status much faster. Um, So so we're we're calling on people to to please, please write to your MP and let them know that um, this narrative that the government is is relying on, which is that the people want a cruel and a tough and, and an exclusionary immigration and asylum system, is actually false. And actually people want a system that works. People want a system that treats people with dignity and people want to protect people and offer them safe routes to protection.
2: Um, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Hopefully you've all learned something new today. I know we have.
4: And
1: if you want to get involved in the campaign mentioned by Zoe, please go check out the Join Council for the Welfare of Immigrants website.
0: Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Refugee Realities podcast series, hosted by the Department of International Development at the LSE. We have more episodes on the way, so please do stay tuned.